this is for maybe an independent artist. Don't follow the trends so much of, of what's already on radio. Try to think ahead and try to be unique and just be ahead of the curve and just keep your blinders on and understand the competition that you're going to have. Isn't, Oh, I sound like Adele and I'm going to sound so much better than her. Like, listen to this song. It's like, no, no. It's like, you gotta, you just got to find your vibe and your, your style and it's got to be different than everybody else's. So that means you got to find a different niche for what you're doing and make it stand out in a way. Welcome to the Female Entrepreneur Musician Podcast with Bree Noble. Bree is a musician, entrepreneur, speaker, and founder of Women of Substance Music Radio and Podcast. Bree's interviews with successful female musicians and industry pros are both inspirational and informational. She also answers your questions about the music business. Bree is on a mission to help you create great music, connect with your fans, and grow your business, and to truly become a female entrepreneur musician. Hey, this is Bree Noble, and I want to thank you for tuning in to the Female Entrepreneur Musician Podcast, where we talk about making great music, connecting with your audience, and growing your business. And as always, there's a ton of awesome stuff going on at femusician.com. Head on over there and check out what's going on, including we're going to be having a bunch of free workshops coming up. Um, this is July that I'm talking about, July 2016, but... There are free workshops and other cool things going on all the time at femusician.com. So if you don't listen to this in July 2016, I'm sure there'll be something coming up that will work great for you, give you some good value, teach you a lot, and it will be free. So if you want to find out about the kind of free workshops that we do, I recommend that you go to femusician.com, click on free gift and sign up for our free income guide, 19 sources of income that you probably haven't considered for your music business. And when you do that, you'll be on our list so we can let you know when these free workshops are coming up. Plus, you get a very cool income guide that will help you figure out lots of different streams of income for your music business that you might not have considered. Now, today I'm talking with a very cool, gutsy artist who has so much to say. I think I need to have another interview with her at another time because we actually ran out of time because I had to go teach my students and I couldn't ask her everything that I wanted to ask her. And there's just so much to mine from her career that she's had over 15 years. So I'm going to introduce you to her and I promise I will have her back. This is some information about Jenny DeVoe. Jenny DeVoe is one of those rare songbirds who's making the business of music work for her. She's a self-proclaimed ADD and OCD kid who's turned her creative energy into a money-making business of performing and licensing her own songs on her own terms. Over the years, she's evolved into one of the most well-known and most respected indie singer-songwriters in the Midwest. She's earned an Indie Billboard Award and licensed her music to major TV shows and commercials and made her last three records in the UK with famed producer John Parrish. She's a barefoot, bohemian, hippie, soul blues singer whose music and sense of humor has attracted fans of all genres and ages. Her career is a reflection of how a strong woman can navigate the unique odd twists and turns of the music business and truly make an independent living, all while keeping her name in the most respected light. Here is my interview with Jenny DeVoe. 
So that's a little bit about Jenny DeVoe. So Jenny, is there anything you want to tell our listeners about you that's not in that little bio that might be a little bit of uh, interesting, juicy information? Oh gosh, interesting and juicy. I think um, those things are probably there. Uh, nothing comes to mind at this very moment. Just I'm just always kind of in forward motion, always going forward. I think probably... The juiciest stuff about me um, probably is I have, I think, lived with um, quite a bit of ADD and OCD my whole life. So um, somehow this business of being creative has been a good, uh, a good thing for me. Yeah, I think I've seen that in a lot of musicians actually. And being on stage, they tend to hyper focus. Oh, you're absolutely which, right. Which helps, you know, yeah. the whole like distracted ADD kind of thing. Exactly, because the the thing you're looking for, it, if you have that, oh, just uh, you know, ADD thing, what they say is happening is your lack of focus is basically that you're always, your brain is always looking for stimuli to hang on to. So there's probably nothing more stimulating than just throwing yourself on stage and lights go down and everybody's just looking at you for something. There's something thrilling about that. And you're right. There's a hyper focus that all of a sudden it just narrows and everything makes sense. That's, that's so true. That totally makes sense. So how did you get started in music? Well, the way I got started was probably uh, by accident, maybe with my my dad, my grandma, my mom, all had musical things going on in their worlds. My grandma was a, she could play ragtime piano by ear, and then she passed that along to my dad. My mom was actually a music reader, so she could play piano, you know, by sight. They... Uh, had me go to church, you know, that was something that was an, a, a very, very strict regimen in my life. And my mom also taught like the children's choir. So I was forced to do that and then forced to take piano lessons. And I think even, um, you know, I would have loved it had I had that, you know, knack for concentration, but, oh gosh, everything seemed, when I think back on it, it was just just kind of excruciating to have to sit any place too long or, you know, sit through piano lessons. I remember I had this teacher, Mrs. Boothby for piano, and she had super white carpet in her house and we were not allowed to wear our shoes in there. And I have these really double jointed fingers. And I thought, well, I'm going to use, I didn't, I had, I have to back up. I didn't think it, um, consciously, but subconsciously I was sitting there and she was very strict and she's like, oh no, 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 not that. And I go, well, my fingers get stuck this way. <laughs> she's like, she's like, that's not true. <laughs> and and uh, I always had really great excuses. Um, I did learn a lot from uh, my piano and I always, I remember her talking to my mom about the sheet music that I was choosing to play. And it was like 50 ways to leave your lover by Paul Simon. The, the theme to the Godfather, everything had like a real moody kind of dark haunting, um, essence to it. And, uh, she, I think was concerned with my, uh, you know, kind of, we didn't call it goth back then, but I think she thought I was a little moody and, um, and also making up excuses about my fingers for piano. So it all kind of started there. 
That sounds a lot like my daughter. She's a bit like that. She can't sit still for a whole lesson for sure. Yeah. And I don't know what to tell you about that, but, but it is taking rest assured. Your money's not going to total waste. I think there's a, a mathematical side, whatever side of your brain you use for your math. I think that's what your teachers are using to teach you. So later on, I just abandoned it. But then when I went back to start writing, I kind of wiped the slate clean and, and I used my creative side and couldn't even tell you what notes I'm playing, but, um, you know, wrote three songs on piano for my last record. And that is not what I had been doing. I had been doing everything on guitar basically. And I don't, you know, I don't really read music anymore and I don't score it, but I'm writing all the time. So I kind of set myself free from the, that structure part, but it still did take, there's something in there. So good luck. Hmm. Interesting. (laughs) Yeah. (laughs) I'm going to need good luck with this one for sure. So at this point, do you consider yourself a full-time musician or are you supplementing your income in some way? And if you are full-time, how long have you been full-time? You know, I think I would say I am a full-time musician and that doesn't mean that it's only by touring. I don't only make money by touring and selling CDs and performances. That's a big part of it. But I also think a huge part of the music business, at least quote unquote, my music business, um, maybe not the commercial idea of it has been that right after college, right after I got my degree, I worked at a music studio And I poured coffee, I got donuts, you know, for all the advertising people. And I little by little forced the two owners who were both phenomenal mentors and piano uh, players themselves. I, I just would say I can sing, you know, just give me a shot. And they're like, we just want a secretary. I'm like, yeah, but I sing, I'm a singing secretary. (laughs) (laughs) And they're like, okay. So at, you know, when they were really at a loss, they'd have me go sing and little by little, it became a, an eyebrow razor for them. And I started doing voiceovers as well. And then pretty soon, um, I landed a job with one of their biggest clients, which was Meyer Superstores. And they're in several states. They're just a giant, um, like super grocery store with everything from clothes to house goods and all that kind of stuff. And I landed a three-year exclusive contract and then they renewed it for another two years after that. So what I have found is the full timiness of being a musician means you've got to be kind of scrappy. And I'm, I think I'm always humbled um, around every corner by how much it really takes to just keep yourself swinging vine to vine. It's like, it might be a commercial job that I get that pays the bills, or it might be a, you know, singing, or it might be a voiceover, or it might be a gig. And we might, um, you know, it might be a new CD that suddenly has a big surge in selling. So I would say I've been full-time quote unquote, since about the year 2000, 2001. Wow. Yeah. That's a long time. That's a long time. Yeah. I, we, you definitely have to be scrappy. And I always talk about the streams of income because you're not just going to make your income from one or two places. Right. 
generally you're going to make your income from, I mean, even me being running a music business as I do, I still make income from doing vocals for people. Oh, I love that. I absolutely Because it's love fun. That. Number one, it's like, a, it's a creative outlet for me outside of the business and the marketing and all that stuff. And it's just, you know, something I can do to like, make sure I still keep my chops and all that. But you know, I, I like that income. Ooh, like Bri, I like maybe having I'll that in my thing on uh, one of my records. I mean, I absolutely love meeting new people and I feel I'm not the best, um, you know, thinking in, in business terms, I, I feel like I'm also, somebody told me recently, they said, God watches over the stupid and, you know, the people who <laughs> he's talking, <laughs> he's talking about us, you know, he's like, God watches over you when you don't, it, it does a little good to make a plan, but you know, nothing ever goes as planned. So it's good to be, um, accessible and in keep your mind open and just keep your, you know, just keep the door open to doing other things and, and just having fun. I mean, pretty soon, I mean, it's like life's in a snap. I cannot believe how much time has passed, you know, since uh, the year 2000. It's insane and how the music business has changed so much. So it, it is, yeah, I, I love that you have your um, women of substance. And I love, you know, just doing this interview. It's just, I find everything to be an honor and a blessing when anybody asks me to do anything. I'm like, really? Like you want me to go speak at a, um, an elementary school on girls and bullying and self-confidence. And it's like, you know, people see you as something you might not see yourself as. And then suddenly they go, yeah, but you know, these songs that you've written, they all kind of speak to this, this, um, idea of empowering women. It's like, oh yeah, you know what? It does. And so you find that you are um, identified in other ways by other people and it's very cool and it's good to understand it. So I think I'm, I'm always like, oh, the perception of who I am by other people is very important. And, you know, all you have is your name. So you have to keep a really good light around your name and your, your art. For sure. And I love that idea about keeping your mind open, like to the different, number one, the different income streams and number two, the, the different ways that other people might look at your music. I mean, for me, like I've noticed I'll have a song and I wrote it about a certain thing. And then someone will be like, Oh, this song really hit me this way. And it's like a totally different thing Absolutely. than I intended. Right. And it will kind of put me in this, like, Oh, your songs are, you know, are, are able to help people with depression. And I'm like, that wasn't what I intended, but that's really cool. Right. And then, you know, suddenly people are asking you to come per sing for some kind of thing that relates to people with depression, right? And, you know, and you're like, Oh, okay, that's cool. You know, exactly. And, and you just have to keep your mind open to that. And also, I think, like you said, keeping your mind open to, you know, not limiting yourself. Cause as I was saying, I do some vocals on the side and they, they for a while I was so focused on my business. It would annoy me when someone would ask me to do a vocal and I'd be like, I don't have time for this. And then just this month I was like, you know what? I really enjoy this right. and I need to keep my mind open to this. And as soon as I did that, like literally all of a sudden I got like four or five vocals this month. They're like, what? Like it's been like one every month or every two months See? for a while. And you know what and that now is? Just, it's like that positive, like vibe energy thing. Yeah. And what you did was, and I think this hopefully doesn't sound hokey, but I think a, a good example, we're talking right now, we can't 
visibly see a sound wave. But I believe sound waves are exactly like thought waves. So the minute you were accepting of, okay, you know what? I'm open to that. You actually put a thought wave out there and you have no idea how powerful that is. It's just kind of the, the basic thing of thinking positive and wishing for what you want or praying for what you want. And that's a wave into just the ripple of the fabric of life. And it's like, I, I know when I'm super, super busy, I'll forget to do some of those things. And then I'll stop myself and go, I really need this to happen. I really like to do this. I really enjoyed this. And I might place a few phone calls too. And what's so funny is the people who respond aren't the people that I called. So that always <laughs> proves to me, and this has happened forever, I think, in my life. It's such a real thing that you have to send out thoughts about what you want and what you enjoy and and always reassess um, what you think you're supposed to be doing probably isn't isn't nailing, you know, hitting the nail on the head with what you are really doing. Like if you're affecting people with your music and then it does, you know, affect people with depression or I've had the same thing with a song I have called Away. And it is about addiction, but I do have that other thing that you were talking about, which is people will come up and say, this song, this song, uh, you know, have gotten me through these different things and I'll kind of, you know, look at the songs later and go, that's so interesting. People pull from, they pull their own hope out of your songs um, while you're telling a story. So I, I used to really explain on stage different songs. And as I've gotten older, I kind of leave it a little bit to people's imaginations. I might touch on a little bit, sometimes in a comedic way, like this song's about, uh, I've got a song about, it's called Redeeming. And I'm, I always say, this goes out to anybody who just got out of prison, which is just, you know, it's not really for that. And then everybody gets a laugh out of it. But what really happens at that moment is everybody hones in on, well, I'm going to hear what this song's about. And they start really listening. That's why listening shows are my favorite to do, because if I'm in a chitty chatty place and everybody's kind of, you know, disregarding you, it's sort of, it's unfulfilling. I'd rather be in a scary spot and having people looking for something in what I'm doing then to just be, you know, making a paycheck, which happens occasionally, but, um, you know, that's not what I'm looking for. I agree for sure. And I, I think you're using that little bit of comedy, like lets their guard down. Yes. And it actually, it, it, like you said, it, it hones their mind in on, I'm going to listen to this song and now I'm curious. Exactly. Yeah. That in between stuff's so important and it's, it, it is a tool, I think, to, it just gets everybody's attention a little bit more because I've seen so many of my favorite artists just, and you know, I don't know what, I, I don't really know if I can excuse them from it, but I feel, uh, when you go to a show, you really do want a little bit of them in between, uh, whether they're talking for a second or five minutes, it makes you pay more attention to the songs and it just draws you in. It's like, I, I want to know you and I may not even like you as much as I thought, as much as I like your music, but you still have to engage. You still have to put the effort in. Oh yeah, I agree. I love it when they tell little stories. I actually went to see um, the Waylon Jennies last year 
And they, I love that name. One I of them, love I love that it, name. I wish I had thought of that name. And I just love that name. I know it's a great name. And uh, one of the girls was talking about how her son said that she wasn't like, he's like two and he's, he's like, you're a singer, mom. You're not a good singer. Like oh. <laughs> that's just a really cute story. That's and then she's like showing him, look, some people think I'm a good singer. Here's my CDs, you know, <laughs> that is that see that'll keep her grounded forever. That's so funny. I have a, a little niece who is out in Iowa city and, um, she did something similar a couple of days ago. I did this thing called cook and bells playhouse. It's out there on YouTube and it's this really really sweet, uh, couple who did something very similar to Daryl's playhouse or Daryl's house, you know, the, um, from Holland Oates. Yeah. Yeah. Live at Daryl's. Yeah. So we take, we do a couple of their songs and then we do a couple of my songs, but, um, anyway, this is just adorable because she's my niece and, um, I called to wish her a happy birthday and she's like, you know what? She goes, I was watching that cook and bell thing you were doing. She goes, they are just adorable. And that son of theirs, she went on and on and on and on, you know, about them. And I just was laughing. Like I wasn't laughing out loud. And so after we were done, cause she could have cared less about me. And, um, so I, ca- I called them and said, would you guys do me a huge favor? Cause she was just awestruck by them, you know? And so I said, call her and sing happy birthday. So they did. And she just can't stop talking about it and oh they're going to send her some autograph stuff. Yeah. So it's like, you know what? Those humbling moments are, oh, those are the best. I mean, cause we've seen people walk around with an entitled, um, yes, I'm the best or, you know, that, that insecure thing that we all have, the thing that's so recognizable about it in other people is when they aren't necessarily happy for other people, or they're just always competing and you want to just look at them. I mean, big famous people, we've seen them on TV and they're there. There's something in them that is constantly like still having to get the win. And mm-hmm. it's like, you know, um, I guess there's enough room for all of us and it's very good because all I think of us artists are a special breed in that we're vulnerable and we're needy and we need people to approve of us. There's something that happened to us when we're, what do they say between the age of two and three, something happened to us where we didn't get enough attention. And there's something that makes us want that attention. But there's also a maturity in that little thing where you're like, okay, I'm good. Certain people are going to love me the most, but other people are going to love somebody else the most. And it's good to just have a good balanced assessment and reminder and humbler of who (laughs) you are and just be, you know, grateful you ever got any applause at all. And, um, you know, make each show your best because it might be your last show, not to be morbid, but it's Mm. true. I love, I love that attitude. I mean, you don't, you don't find that too often. Of course, all the people I interview on this show have a great, no, (laughs) well, they really do though. I I try to seek out the people that I feel like really are humble and are willing to share because I don't want to have anyone here that is not willing to share, you know, the struggles that they've been through. And so I wanted to ask you, you know, along the way, is there any, like any kind of story or anything you can share with our listeners that about a time that you just felt like, oh my gosh, this just isn't working. I'm hitting a wall. This is never going to happen. And how you kind of 
got through that and maybe something that you learned that you know now that, you know, you want to tell some people that are starting out? Yeah, I think, oh, I'll try not to ramble too long. I think a lot of my real struggles with insecurity, maybe knowing what I wanted to do, not having faith in myself or even outside encouragement to do music. Um, I think all of that for me really happened. Um, so it's a kind of a twofold story. It, it all happened early. I could go back to seventh grade. We could talk about getting bullied and stuff like that. And then having this empowered, enlightened feeling where you're like, you know what? Clicks are stupid. I'm going to be the good girl. I mean, I'm going to be the good guy. I'm going to, you know, uh, follow my own drummer, whatever that is. So that happened to me in seventh grade. And like I said, I always had some ADD and OCD, like weird, you know, weird compulsions and things that, um, you know, won't make me sound so cool to, to really talk about it. But I think that it's really important. I remember sitting in like fifth and sixth grade and the, the, uh, OCD thing where you pick, like I picked, I would pick, I picked out all my eyebrows. I picked out all my eyelashes. Mm -hmm. I would sit, I have had the curliest hair in my class. Like I only had a best friend who had this same kind of hair and I hated it. Um, I think the helpful thing here at this moment, I would tell every single parent is if you're daughter or son is really different and unique in things, um, no matter what, tell them their weird, different, quirky thing is majorly cool, beautiful, all that. And I don't think my mom really knew how to deal with me a lot. So I was, uh, always fighting my curls, straightening, straightening my stuff out. And she would actually help me, you know, like, I think she was wanting me to fit in too. And it was like, in but nowadays, I think we've learned so much about self-esteem and following your own path that maybe at this point in the world, she would have recognized and we would have all been educated enough to say, you know what, your hair is beautiful. Let's even puff it up even more, you know, and do all this stuff. And I just think I had a lot of anxiety that nobody understood and we didn't have you know, Ritalin wasn't overprescribed at that time. And, and so I was really struggling with a lot of that kind of stuff. And I think little by little, I just figured it out myself. And as I grew and got older, I, you know, went through that crazy partying phase where I also, um, found out that I was pretty much a codependent person. And so I picked out all these very bad boys and, um, thought I was going to fix them all. And it was uh, a good concentrated time in my life, probably at the end of high school before I decided to really, uh, buckle down and go to college. So, um, you know, those, those things I think added to stories I would tell later. And I, always wanted to do music, but nobody ever said you should do music except a couple of people. When I was singing in choir, I remember in elementary school and then in church choir, I remember two girls, Tracy Overfield and Susan McDowell. See these things stick with you. Mm -hmm. They turned to me and they said, wow, your voice is awesome. And I just remember kind of having this feeling of like, this is the thing I'm good at, you know? And, uh, and I've always felt like I was kind of keeping it secret, but I, at home alone, I was doing it, you know, all the time. And so I felt this little surge of, 
really? Like two people think I'm really an awesome singer. And, um, you know, so those, those were struggles in my personality. I was super shy girl, um, when I was in elementary school and then had the kind of, uh, enlightened moment in seventh grade where i I kind of got into a click and I was kind of bullied and I was like, this is, you know, bullshit. And, um, I, I remember calling the main bully girl the summer after seventh grade and saying, just wanted you to know, not going to run around with you anymore. And, you know, not going to take any more of your crap. So just lose my number. And my, I remember my dad being really proud of me. Like that was really cool. And I stuck to it and I feel like I've stuck to it through my whole life. And then, you know, then trying to go to college though, I did not do music in college and I, I did communications and counseling psychology. So I think I, I was a person who got the gift of maybe understanding and empathy, understanding codependency and dependency from all my experiences. And then counseling psychology, I really kind of thought I was going to do that. I, I did an internship at, at a chemical dependency place and um, felt I really understood people, you know, and I had an empathy for people who were struggling with addictions and I learned as much as I could about it. And I feel like in, even though I didn't end up doing that, when I, I moved from little town of Muncie, where I went to Ball State University, moved to Indianapolis. So moved from a 40,000 person town to a 1.5 million person town. So it was a night and day. And within four weeks of living in Indianapolis, I was in a band. <laughs> so it's kind of yeah. like, it just keeps pulling at you, nagging at you. And, um, you know, I married my husband and he didn't even know that I sang. So that's how secret I kept it. And, wow. um, suddenly, uh, somebody needed somebody in a band that was at his work, the place that he worked. And I go, I'd really like to do that. And he goes, Oh, Oh, you know, I don't know if you should do that. <laughs> you didn't want me to mess up his work. And I go, trust me. I go, and you know, I had sung in like a garage band in high school and sung in friends weddings, but he had never been there. You know, he had never been part of that with me. So I did this gig. I started going to rehearsal. He never came to the rehearsals. I think he was just nervous. And then he came to a gig that we did. And then I remember a day later, he had this box for me and he gave me this box and I opened it and it was a PV microphone, a PV. And he goes, I had no idea. He said, this is what you're supposed to do. So mm. that was just the best thing ever. And just having, you know, having somebody to support you, he was my support. And I never had that by anybody. In fact, I remember my mom actually saying, oh gosh, you know, you don't want to do entertainment for, uh, for a living. I mean, she would have me, you know, tested and like career testing. And she just thought it was going to be a, a whole horrible experience. Like you're never going to make money. But truth is I didn't really make money until I started doing what I loved. So, you know, I'm not a, a schooled artist. I've never had a voice lesson in my life. Um, I just think my schooling was, you know, radio, church choir, um, you know, singing secretly and working on pitch and doing all these things, working at a music studio. Um, so that's one part of it. You might want to edit out some of that. I have no idea. I think I, I kind of traveled off into a, an area, uh, but that's kind of the preliminary part of the career that I've had. So 
jump forward to starting the music career, I remember going to uh, just writing and writing and uh, being in different bands. And I was in a blues band. I was in uh, Larry Crane's band. Larry Crane used to be the guitarist for John Mellencamp. And I toured around with him for a little bit. And I just kind of kept trying these things without asking anybody if I even had the skills to do it. So I think that the faith in yourself is so important. And then I started doing my own thing because I just wanted to do original music and just decided to build a band around myself. I, I kind of feel like I put blinders on, you know, had I turned and asked everybody, do you think I'm good enough to do this? Or do you think I'm allowed to do this? I think um, there are, are enough naysayers out there. You know, you can find a naysayer and somebody to be a pessimist for you every single day. So I think the key is don't ask, just like follow your heart, follow your dream. It's a struggle, um, but it's all doable. I mean, I've licensed my songs by accident to, so it's not accident, but I remember calling after I had my first CD out. Uh, my friend said, you know what? She said, I watched this show, Dawson's Creek. She said, your music would be perfect on there. And I was like, well, um, okay. And I didn't watch the show, but I got on um, all these different, I was trying to track down the music supervisor and I got him at his house. I do not know how I got him at his house, oh. but I got him at his house. And he's like, how did you get this number? And I go, I really don't know. <laughs> I said, I have a list here and different people kept giving me different numbers. And um, I think they were probably just giggling. One was I actually called a Sony music store, like a record store. And they're mm. like, you've got the Sony record store in uh, Los Angeles. And I was like, you know, who I'm really trying to find is, and little by little, I got into the corporate part and somebody accidentally gave me his home number and he goes, send me your stuff. And pretty soon he's using a song here and there on different episodes of Dawson's Creek. Then he also music supervised a show called uh, party of five. I love that show. Isn't that funny? I'm on DVD. Like when the, everything went to DVD, they, um, he's like, would you, let me put some of your songs on these DVD things. Mm -hmm. And I was like, absolutely. And, uh, strong medicine, um, you know, just different crazy accidental things. And so I started realizing, you know, you were asking earlier about where the music business isn't just like performing and selling CDs, but also knowing people in film and TV and, um, commercials, like stores, like if you believe in a store and don't have, you know, a big aversion to, um, quote unquote, I don't call it selling out now. I mean, we've all heard Led Zeppelin and John Mellencamp on car commercials. I think it's just making a living and, you know, you can license your stuff to something as long as it's not, you know, some horrible company that you just don't believe in. Like if you're, if you're a vegan, you're not going to license it to, uh, you know, the beef McDonald's. Exactly, yeah, exactly. Exactly. Or I'm a, you know, I, I believe the the fur industry is like one of the worst industries ever. And, and, uh, you know, I'm, I'm big into, it's funny. I'm a PETA supporter, but, uh, I also believe in handling things and sending messages kindly to people because I don't think, um, everybody is 
you know, people turn their heads when you give them that kind of information and it is a hard thing to stomach. So it's like little by little, if you can break into people's minds and have them just kind of think twice about their, their practices, which is, you know what I did? Am I talking too much? No. What did you do? Well, I have this really bad hat. Here's my, my vice is, this is just a, one of my terrible habits is I've watched the, um, show, the housewives, you know, the Bravo series, the housewives. Uh, oh yeah. Yeah. Of oh, no matter who they are. Everything. everything. Yeah. Right. Yes. One of my favorite ones is the New York housewives. But the thing that bothers me is that they all wear these fur coats and, and it's like, you know what, this is so stupid. There's no reason anybody would ever kill a Fox or a mink or a chinchilla or, you know, a seal or, or whatever, or a snow leopard for God's sakes, Ugh. except for their fur. And it's like, um, there are these things that everybody kind of turns a blind eye to. And I wrote a letter once to Andy Cohen and I thought nobody's ever going to read this letter, but I just wrote to him how much I loved him and his spirit and how, you know, I think he's such a good character. And I read his first book and I said, but here's the thing that I just, would you ever bring up to your your, um, housewives, you know, just plant the seed. Like, this is just a weird thing. Like, can't you guys, they're such beacons. It's like, let's just have a good influence on society. And I swear to you, I have no idea if he ever read it, but I was watching the show. He had, uh, one of the Beverly Hills housewives on the Erica Jane. She had a giant look like a white Fox, you know, fur coat. And it takes like, you know, a hundred foxes to, they're just Mm -hmm. using their tails, you know? So this is something you can tell I feel really passionate about. And, um, he said to her while she was there in a very kind of, you know, nice, subtle, not, not too mean way. He said, is that fake or fur that you're fake or real that you're wearing? And she goes, Oh, it's real. And he goes, huh? And then he turned to the camera just a few beats later. And he goes, my mazel of the day is to Giorgio Armani, who decided he's not going to use any animal products in any of his stuff anymore. So he kind of said in a way, you know, in a great way, he was giving a mazel, giving a thumbs up, kudos to um, that company for deciding, you know, you know what, let's not, let's not do this anymore. Anyway, I think it takes, um, it just is going to take a, a whole lot of people to make that uncool again. You know, I remember when it right. was a really nice wave of it being uncool. And and then I think it was suddenly somebody showed up with mink cuffs on the cover of Vogue. And I was like, I don't think people realize it's really not a good look and it's ugly. And I've always wanted to tell women who wear gigantic fur coats, it just makes you look fat. <laughs> you know, it makes you look fat. It makes you look old. It makes you look like you're displaying wealth. And it's really sad that you're wearing, you know, a hundred dead foxes right now. So totally, totally. they're beautiful. Let's just leave them on there. So there's my, there's my plea for that. That's a big, (laughs) big thing for me. Well, I love that along the way you answered one of my questions was, which was, what was your secret to getting your music license? Obviously your secret is having balls balls and just calling and calling and calling (laughs) until you find the right person at their, at home. Yeah. Be a little stupid. Be a little bit like, um, why can't I call? You know, I think people definitely put up walls that aren't really there. And I think I've actually done it for myself since. And, and then I'm reminded um, just because I didn't sign with a major label, 
doesn't mean you're not in the music game. You know, the game of music is kind of a free for all now. It is. And that's my next question. So why have you decided to stay independent? Because I know you've had offers. I've had, I would say, snoopers. You know, I remember getting a really great voicemail on my little business, which is called Ruben the Cat Music. And I just relicensed my trademark. Um, I remember getting a really cool thing from a guy named Chris um, from Atlantic Records. And I was like, oh, that's cool. I was a little naive too when this stuff started happening. I just figured it was gonna happen. You know, they just call you and then you sign and it's done. And I remember even before that, I had sent my uh, very first CD, which I should have named Barefoot to Babylon, but because that was one of my very first songs on there. And the Stones came out right before that with Bridges to Babylon. And I was here, I was thinking, oh, I can't name it that because they've done that. But really, I thought of it way before, and I'd written the song like a year before. So I called it Does She Walk on Water, because that was another song on there. But I sent it to the mountain, KMTT in Seattle. And, um, you know, radio play is the freaking hardest thing to get in the world, Mm -hmm. unless you have a radio promoter who is really working for you and getting you, you know, eight to 12 week. Which is quite expensive. It's so expensive, isn't it? I mean, it is. Yes. It's crazy expensive. And they were playing Barefoot to Babylon. They sent me an email and they're like, we're playing Barefoot to Babylon. And I remember just keeping the email, okay, and just thinking, wow, this is cool. I didn't know how, you know, substantial that was, how mm-hmm. phenomenal that was for somebody to write to me who I had just, well, you know what? I don't even think I sent it to them. Somebody gave it to them. That's what happened. And I was like, wow, that's cool and organic. And this must just be how it happens. It just happens organically. (laughs) Radio is just going to start picking me up like wildfire. And little by little, you start, you know, seeing behind the curtain. And this is a functioning, well-oiled machine. And everybody really protects their positions. And you need different people to open certain doors for you. And those doors have, you know, a paycheck. I mean, not a paycheck, but they have a, a cost to each, yep. each ticket in is a cost. So yeah. So I had gotten the one thing from Atlantic and then I got an email from Universal and I talked to those people. And then I got a, an independent label out of New York that, um, was interested. And then a really cool label here called Flat Earth Records. And I kind of just waffled and sat on stuff and thought, started reading. And I remember shortly after Atlantic had gotten hold of me, uh, I read an article, I think it was in Rolling Stone and they had dropped Patty Griffin. She's one of my favorite. How could they do that? Well, the, and the funny thing is I still, and I still feel I'm a little naive about some of the business stuff. I've talked to enough people in it, but I haven't talked to all of them. And I think there are probably some really good people in the business, but I think there used to be a lot more music people in the music business. And I think what started happening when the big thing started imploding was right when I was going to make my second record. And so I had already thought, um, you know, I'd already started getting some different interest from people. And I read this article and I, it stopped me in my tracks because I remember they said she made a record Atlantic got to keep it because she was under contract when she made it. And I think they put it on the shelf. And I was like, what's putting it on the shelf mean? So I started, you know, really investigating, like, what the hell does putting it on the shelf mean? And um, 
and it was that they got to keep her music. And it's like, well, that's, you know, that's not right. And it's like, that comes, you know, that's your intellectual property. That is you. It doesn't seem like anybody should rightfully ever own something that came out of your mind and your soul. And, but if you sign a piece of paper, you know, it just, it just is what it is. It's a business. Uh, people know how to make money off of it. And a lot of artists get taken advantage of. And I think right then and there is when I said, oh my gosh, I, I just don't know if that's for me. And I had a music attorney tell me, you know, sign with somebody, but, um, you know, don't make a CD by yourself. And I did exactly opposite of what he said. And I just started making records by myself and, um, just, you know, doing what, doing what I wanted to do. And, um, did, did start to do a radio promotion once and, um, ended up out in Hawaii once and out in Boulder, Colorado, you know, playing with these big famous people, but I did put a little cash into the situation and that was only half of it. I was just buying a spot to play. So I was beside, you know, Jack Johnson and Sean Mullins and, um, Edwin McCain. And, uh, I mean, I remember in Hawaii getting to be on stage with, with, uh, Ziggy Marley and he was singing with the Wailers. So he's being backed up mm. by, you know, his, wow. his dad's band. And it was like tiki torches at night. It was beautiful. Everybody gave positive, positive feedback. And they said, are you going to do a radio campaign now? Cause you're playing for all these music directors and program directors. And I went, what do you mean? They go, I, I'm thinking at that moment, I'm doing the campaign right now, aren't I? <laughs> mm. And it's like, no, there's more to it. And there, there is a thing, you know, um, there are a lot of radio stations that you can send your stuff to and they'll play it. And, um, but there are others who are part of, you know, something where basically, you know, it does cost to have that advantage or the privilege, I guess, of being on radio. And in a weird way, I actually understand it. I mean, radio stations have to keep themselves functioning and that means they have to have money. And if you really think about how much is music played on your favorite music station. It's like, really, they can't really just give all those spots away. So in a way I started just, instead of being mad about it, I started understanding it. If you buy a commercial on the radio, you're paying for a minute. Well, you know, it, it only makes sense, but I just wish the transparency of that reality was just a little bit more available to everybody. It takes a lot of investigation and it mm. takes a lot of looking at it from both sides, I think, and understand. I love that. I appreciate that attitude because I do, you know, occasionally get some blowback yeah. with women of substance because I'm like, look, this is not pay to play, but you need to give me a very small fee to pay for my time to right. listen to your music because I would get, I would get like drown in music. So if people could just send it to me yeah. for free, you know, absolutely. And I'm not trying to gouge you. I'm an artist. I totally get yeah. where you're coming from, but I still am running a business here too. I you completely know? get it. And you know what? I I think until people run their own business, I don't think many people will end up doing exactly what you're doing. And so their empathy for you, unfortunately, you know, is you you actually know what it's like to be basically a radio station. So you can see that, oh my gosh, you know, this all has to kind of function together and you're right. It's like, you're going to get inundated with music and 
your time is valuable. And right. I, but that's the way I keep my autonomy. I say, look, you're getting my time. Right. You're not getting, you know, you're not having to pay for somebody else who then has an inroad to me. And, you know, I want to make sure that the music I play is quality and I agree with it. Therefore I need to spend my time listening. I'm not going to just take something that someone else sends me because they're paying me. Exactly. You know, that's to me a totally inappropriate. That's kind of a soul seller. You're exactly right. But you do have, I mean, in order to be good at what you do, it's like, it takes time and time is money. I mean, because we're all trying to make a living and making a living, doing what you love is a challenge. It's like a balancing act. It's like, I'm constantly, I constantly feel like I'm, you know, on a tightrope. It's like, I'd love to only sit and write music all day and be groovy chick and just, you know, and be the person who I was more before I started doing the music business. I'm trying to get back to her, but there was a naive person who's more happy go lucky than the girl who has understood after making eight records, what it takes to raise the money for it. And the feeling that you have after you sink the money into it, then you need to do something with it in order to little by little start making your money back. And that means selling downloads or selling CDs and, and performing. So therefore then I'm my booking agent or, and I have an assistant who helps me, but you know, it, I'm still a little mom and pop operation and I've seen major artists go from having, you know, the love and wealth of a label underneath them and that entitlement to radio and to everything go away. You know, I remember being out in Hawaii with, uh, um, Sean Mullins and his wife, and they, they went ahead. It was after his big arc with the Nashville song, which was one of my favorite songs. And I have a friend who ended up being on his, a label that he and his wife started. And I also remember reading that when he got his big break, he was one of the biggest, he got one of of the biggest advances in one of the last big music advances from universal. Mm -hmm. And, um, he toured on it was fabulous. And it, but the minute the plug is pulled on radio, you got to ask yourself, like, where are my true, true blue fans and how am I going to keep promoting this? And you have to start being kind of scrappy. So I remember watching him on an arc and I've watched Edwin McCain on an arc. These are two artists who I absolutely love and love their voices and love their writing. And you know, the, it can be taken away from you. Those, those big corporations can give it to you and they can also take it away from you. And you have to figure out a way to keep a a really loyal following and you know, there's new stuff on the radio every day. I mean, we are competing with, uh, spaces in people's hearts. That's how I always look at it. And so people have to remember every single person in your audience, no matter if it's a teeny tiny little room or a big room, every single person is so important to the makeup of, are you going to keep them? Like, what are you doing? That's so special that's going to keep them following you because you're not entitled to that loyalty. You know, Absolutely. I mean, one thing I've seen being in the position that I'm in, I am overwhelmed every day by the number of new songs that come out and come across my desk just through things like all access and, right. you know, and, and stuff like that. I'm just and like, they're good. 
they're good and there's and they're young. hundreds of them every <laughs> month and you know new people I've never heard of and it's like there's just so many artists out there and you know some people just have this myopic view of like I'm you know I am me everyone should pay attention to me because my stuff is good right. and they're not, not so. thinking about everybody I mean their stuff probably is good but you have to distinguish yourself not just you know, in your little bubble, right. but like, wow, there's so many people out there to compete with. And I'm not saying but it to is discourage anyone, You're right. you know, you are right. And it is. And it's like, I used to think, um, I, there is, there's a kind of that balancing act. You are competing with other people. So then when you go to do a show, remember, like do your best show and put forth every bit of energy that you have. Cause you're not entitled to, um, you know, what's your staying power in their minds and in their ears and in their hearts when you leave. And so I think it all boils back down to do something that is really you, you know, and don't, um, because of the competition, you know, you hear people come out, they all want to sound like Adele suddenly. It's like, suddenly Mm -hmm. I'm hearing everybody wants to sound like Adele. And it's like, you know what the key is? I love watching the voice. And even when I hear somebody who might be super, super good, if I sit there and close my eyes, I'm thinking, would I recognize this voice again if I heard it on radio? And I think um, producing your records, whoever's doing it for you and whatever you're doing with yourself, I had to, I remember having to lay down and put aside Bonnie Raitt music because I loved her so much. You know, I was like, I got to stop. Um, listening to Bonnie Raitt because pretty soon you start sounding like yeah, Bonnie Raitt or right? Susan yep. Tedeschi. And it's like, mm-hmm. you know, I got to just find my voice. And so I, I did. And then I really did any kind of trends or, or anything. And I think my last three records probably reflect that more than anything. And that is, I just have my own voice when people hear it, uh, at least in the places that know me, they know it's me. So I think that finding that sweet spot in your voice, writing to support that, those special qualities in, in each person's voice, making sure your lyrics are worthy of, of a song, whether it's message or, or whatever. Um, and don't follow the trends so much of, this is for maybe an independent artist. Don't follow the trends so much of, of what's already on radio. Try to think ahead and try to be unique and just be ahead of the curve and just keep your blinders on and understand the competition that you're going to have isn't, oh, I sound like Adele and I'm going to sound so much better than her. Like, listen to this song. It's like, no, no. It's like, you gotta, you just got to find your vibe and your, your style and it's got to be different than everybody else's. So that means you got to find a different niche for what you're doing and make it stand out in a way. That is such great advice. And I am going to close out on that because that is such good advice. I want to leave everybody with that. And also I have to go coach my students in about five minutes. So, so, um, yeah, I just, I think that that is a great perspective to leave everybody with. Like, don't try to be like everybody else. Like I said, there's so many other artists out there you're competing with and not to say that to discourage you. Right but you need to find your niche. And I always say that every artist can find their one little corner of the, the music world. You just have to figure out where that little corner is. Exactly. And I will say to support what you're doing, um, you know, don't get mad at Brie. Like, you know, (laughs) 
understand that everybody's everybody's juggling a different. Uh, some people are juggling bowling pins. Some people are juggling knives. Other people are juggling, you know, fireballs or whatever. And it's like just know when you approach somebody and you want them to do something for you, try to be empathetic and just be kind and just keep it really humble because you have no idea, you know, what other people are struggling with. So if you want their support, it's like be supportive of other people in in the same vein and just, just be cool. I think that. Yeah. I think we just need to learn to work within the system and instead of just being mad about it, because I have seen artists along the way that have just been mad about everything and angry. And yeah. And they're just not going to ever get anywhere. No, nobody wants to work with you when you're like that. Dude, I I know 20, 20 years does not make me entitled to anything every single day. No. And if you guys should all go read Jenny's bio and her, her EPK, I mean, at the end, it says like every performance that I get is a blessing. I appreciate everyone who ever asked me to sing. I mean, I just, it just got me so excited to talk to her just reading that. Thank you. Yeah. And I think people can get their wishes confused with what uh, they're entitled to. And it, the truth is we are entitled to absolutely nothing. There's a lot of luck, a lot of lucky breaks and you got to work for your lucky breaks. So they don't just sail up to you. You have to really like swim out to them. Mm, absolutely. Well, I'm going to close on that. This has been so great. Oh, thank and you. I'm so glad we could do this. I am too. I, it's, a, it's been an I honor. think we could do a whole nother interview. So I'll have to think <laughs> about what we're going to talk about next time. Yes. And sorry for if I talk too much, but you oh, are great. It's all so good though. You're doing I mean, good stuff. You, you just love to hear all the ins and outs of people's careers. I mean, at least I know I do. Well, I do too. And thank you. I, I appreciate everything you're doing. And thanks for giving me your time. You're welcome. Now go out and make great music, connect with your fans, and grow your business. Female Entrepreneur Musician has been brought to you by femusician.com and femalemusicianacademy.com. With editing by Jen Eads of 317 Sound Design and music by Stella Ronson.